You're listening to A Stranger Podcast, www.thestranger.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Opponents of marriage equality. They like to boast that every time marriage equality has been on the ballot, uh, the forces of darkness have won, as if that clinches the argument. Of course, if you'd put interracial marriage on ballots in the United States, when interracial marriage was legalized by the Supreme Court, declared a constitutional right by the Supreme Court, it would have lost at the ballot box. Just because something loses at the ballot box doesn't mean that it is wrong. Just because something loses at the ballot box doesn't mean the majority voters are right. But we have a chance this fall in Washington State, in Minnesota, and in Maine to win some at the ballot box. In Maine, there's an effort to uh, re-legalize same-sex marriage, which was briefly legal in Maine, at the ballot box. In Minnesota, there's an effort to defeat an anti-gay marriage amendment at the ballot box. Looks like we can win there. And in Washington State, where I live, there is an effort on the part of the haters to rescind a new law, the marriage equality law that passed here in Washington state this year. And we have an opportunity to defend that law, to make Washington state the eighth state where marriage equality is legal. Now, uh, to help support that effort, to help defend that new marriage equality law, we are doing a special live taping of the Savage Lovecast at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington on June 13th at 8 p.m. It's open to all ages. Tickets are $22. It is a benefit for Washington United for Marriage. I will be there live on stage. We will be taking questions, Savage Love Live style. The tech-savvy at-risk youth will be there stoned on stage and – our special musical guests, Garfunkel and Oates, will be there too, live on stage. They will be performing for us some of their hilarious songs like Pregnant Women Are Smug and Sex with Ducks. Uh, and also they will be giving sex advice because really when you look up advice in the dictionary, all it says is opinion about what could or should be done. You don't really need any qualifications to give your opinion as I prove week after week after week on this show. So – Garfunkel and Oates will be there giving sex advice. I'll be there giving sex advice. The text heavy at risk youth will be there doing bong hits. We will have cupcakes and tequila on stage for people who buy the $100 VIP tickets for the after show reception. And uh, I want you to be there if you've ever wanted to come to a live taping of the Savage Love Cast or a Savage Love Live event. This is your opportunity if you're in Seattle or you can get to Seattle. Once again, it's June 13th at the Neptune Theater. You can purchase tickets online by going to STG Presents. Dot org and all proceeds benefit Washington United for Marriage. Please join us June 13th, 8 p.m., Neptune Theater, 22 bucks. Tickets at stgpresents.org. Your call's after this. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature, including fiction, nonfiction, and periodicals. For a free audiobook of your choice, go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. This episode is brought to you by adamandeve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Just go to adamandeve.com and enter savage at checkout. Hi, Dan. I'm a young, straight female with a bit of an issue. Uh, my issue is that I've never had an orgasm during sex. I really enjoy sex. Uh, with both vaginal sex and oral sex, I have an amazing time, and I often feel extremely close to orgasming. But I've never been able to actually come. 
I'm not sure if this is due to physiological or psychological reasons, or maybe some combination of both. I know I can orgasm because when I masturbate, I come fairly easily. I started masturbating when I was younger using a shower head and then moved on to an electric toothbrush. But when I try to do it manually, it's the same as when I have sex. I feel extremely close, but I just can't orgasm. I've tried depriving myself of any masturbation for two full months, um, and then masturbating manually, but even then it didn't work. As for the psychological component, my first boyfriend, whom I was with for four years, told me that since I didn't orgasm when I lost my virginity to him, I must be incapable of orgasming during sex. He made no effort to get me off, while in the meantime convincing me to do things that I didn't want to do, like let him suck my ass without lube or anything because I got him off, even though it hurt me so badly that I cried more than once from the pain. I obviously should have been much more assertive, to say the least, but he had me convinced that all this was normal, and I thought that doing these things made me a good girlfriend. Obviously, now I'm a lot more direct about what I want and what makes me feel good. So my question is this. What is it that you think is getting in the way of me coming during sex with my current very GGG boyfriend, and how can I get past it? You've all heard me rant a million times about sex education in America and all over the world and how lousy it is and what a disservice it is to young people that they are so poorly educated when it comes to sex. And sex education, even when they have it in a school, is insufficient and often criminally so. Uh, and I, I like to cite the study from the UK uh, about five years ago that found that many young people, when they first became sexually active, were engaged in sex acts, were having sex that was painful and unpleasurable, that they did not enjoy because sex education didn't cover pleasure, because nobody in any of the sex ed classes that these kids had had told them that sex was supposed to feel good. So they didn't go into their first sexual relationships with partners uh, expecting sex to be anything but painful. And, and a partner could take advantage of their ignorance and tell them that this is the way it's supposed to be. And people, male and female, but mostly female, were submitting to sex acts, doing things with somebody who claimed to love them that they didn't enjoy, that were unpleasurable, that were painful because they didn't understand that that wasn't supposed to be that way, which is why we should cover pleasure as a part of sex ed, that sex is indeed supposed to feel good. Also mentioning, of course, that there will be times when you know there's the brass ring, there's that thing that you want to do that is going to feel good the first couple of times. It may be a bit physically of a, of a struggle, that, but ultimately the pleasure is worth it, but it has to be a pleasure that, that you are after, that you want to go to, a place you want to get sexually because – makes you feel good to get there. Unlubed anal intercourse with a douchebag asshole boyfriend who's guilting you about it is no one's idea or concept of pleasure in sex. I, I, you know, caller, I don't know what kind of sex ed you had, but I'm thinking that if you had sex ed that covered pleasure, that emphasized the importance of, of pleasure and mutual pleasure, that you might not have wound up tolerating that, that douchebag, that asshole, that motherfucker for as long as you did. Uh, so just a Sorry, an aside, a rant, a digression. Uh, on to your question. Um, what's getting in the way of you having orgasms during sex with your partner? I think it's your reluctance to bring the electric toothbrush along when you have sex with your partner. There are many, many, many women out there uh, who can't climax uh, during vaginal intercourse alone. Most women require additional 
clitoral stimulation. Uh, some women require additional and very intense clitoral stimulation, the kind of intense clitoral stimulation that only a vibrator can provide. Remember, all of his dick is hanging outside his body. Most of your clit is buried inside your body. Some women just need those deeper sort of internal sensations that a vibrator can provide. The vibes that start at the head of your clit and ricochet all the way up through the rest of your clitoral tissues, most of which are buried deep inside. So if you need that vibrator to be a part of your sex play with your boyfriend, you should incorporate it without inhibition, without, without apologizing for it. It just is part of what's going to have to be. And, and you know, guys, if, if a guy needed a nun outfit, a canoe and a goat to get off in the moment with his partner – the first time he had her over, there would be a nun habit, a goat, and a canoe sitting on the bed waiting for the shit to start. Guys are pretty aggressive about going for what they want. And that can be very bad as your ass learned with your asshole douchebag ex-boyfriend. Um, and, and that can be a good thing. The guys can advocate for themselves sexually. Uh, you know, If you're with a guy who can advocate for himself sexually without – trampling over your pleasure, your rights, without using and abusing you, that can be kind of a liberating experience. You should model though, more women should model themselves on the kind of respectful self-advocacy that guys who aren't assholes can engage in, that you can put it out there, that this is what I need. I need, here's my electric toothbrush, my handy electric toothbrush. You turn me on, you get me almost there. I need this to nudge me over the cliff. You put it in his hand, you let him use it, and he is giving you that orgasm. It is a tool in his hand, in addition to the tool in his underpants. That's going to get you there and you shouldn't be shy or inhibited about it. So what's blocking you right now? That. That you're making a distinction between sex you have with your boyfriend, which is toothbrush free, and sex you have solo, the sexual pleasure that you enjoy solo, which is toothbrush full. Incorporate the toothbrush. Incorporate the electric toothbrush into sex with your boyfriend and you will be having orgasms when you have sex with him, not just when you have sex alone. Hi, Dan. So I'm 23. Um, I um, haven't ever orgasmed from sex. Um, I haven't yet. And I've orgasmed other ways, so I know I can. Um, anyway, I've heard you tell callers, girls, that you shouldn't fake an orgasm or you shouldn't, like, say that you did when you didn't because uh, it makes the guys think that, like, hand-free sex is normal and expected, whatever. Um and I just, I just wanted to know, like, what is the right time to bring it up? Because what will happen to me is I'll be having sex with someone and they'll be like, are you close? And I don't know how to be like, not really, but like, I just, and when I'm starting a relationship, I don't really want to go through all the bells and whistles of like bringing a vibrator the first couple of times. Like, I really want to just relax and have fun and like not worry about or like stress about it. Um, so anyway, what what happens to me is they'll ask me during, and I don't think that's a good time. I don't think before is a good time. Um, I don't think faking it and then telling them after is a good idea. So um, I would like your insight into what to do about this problem. Preemptive strike. What you tell someone the first time you're going to go to bed with them is, hey, just wanted to let you know that with a new partner, getting to know somebody, you know, I'm probably not going to come. I'm going to really enjoy it. Uh, I, I love the intimacy. I love sex. I love getting – I love getting you off. Uh, but, you know, if I don't come, please don't freak the fuck out. I'm still having a blast and I'll get there eventually. Uh, but at least out of the gate, it takes me a little time to relax 
into the sex and to start having orgasms with a new person. Um, and, and then instantly you're sort of relieving him of you know, the pressure of providing you with an orgasm if he is not a douchebag and he is concerned about your pleasure uh, or inoculating yourself against pressure from a douchebag who regards you coming as some sort of affirmation of his skills or you know, the magic power of his super dick. And if he balks at that, at who you are and how you work and how you function sexually, don't fuck him. Just don't. So you can kick that conversation off into the future, but you have to inoculate yourself against. You know, it's good that guys want you to get off. It's sad that so many guys, because of porn, because of films, because of what they've seen on television, have this expectation that you know orgasm should be simultaneous, that if everything's working the way it should work and everyone's healthy and functional and turned on, that you guys will climax at the exact same moment. Uh, if you time it right, that, that's really rare. Those sort of simultaneous orgasms are rare. Some young guys come into sex though with an expectation that that's normal and that if a woman is healthy and functional and good to go, that she will be able to time her orgasms as easily as most guys can time theirs. Not the case. Disabuse the guys that you're going to go to bed with of that erroneous notion before you fuck them and then you won't have to worry about being asked that question while you're fucking them. This episode is brought to you by AdamandEve.com. For a limited time only, Adam and Eve will let you pick three free adult DVDs with your order. Go to AdamandEve.com and order almost any one item at 50% off. Choose a new adult toy, lube, or almost anything from over 18,000 adult products. Then at checkout, enter offer code SAVAGE and you'll get to choose three free adult DVDs. That's right. You get to choose your own DVDs. Plus, receive a free mystery gift and free shipping on your entire order. Choose from all kinds of genres for both gay and straight folks. And now you can also shop on your mobile phone at Adam and Eve. That's adamandeve.com and enter Savage at checkout. Hello. Um, one problem I'm having is that my sex drive has actually gone down a, a large amount and, uh, and it's kind of presented a couple problems. I think it's because I haven't been sleeping well and been under a lot of stress, but I really don't know. Um, I went to a doctor. They're still getting a uh, blood test done just in case it was something worse. But, <clears throat> yeah, just curious. What can I do to either get my sex drive back or, yeah. So, listen, you, you say in your call that your your sex drive is kind of taking a nosedive. When did this start? How long is it, how long have you been kind of tanked here? Well, I've been – and it, it's going to sound silly now, but it's been about two or three months. Mm-hmm. Um. And the reason I didn't get it looked at before is really I was under, like, I've been under a lot of stress and I haven't been sleeping that much. So I really wasn't cognizant of it until, like, four weeks ago. What happened four uh, weeks ago? Uh, four weeks ago, and this is going to sound weird, I'm, I'm, I'm a college student, I'm 20 years old, and I, I looked up one day and I popped my, and I, like, remember thinking, hey, I'm checking out a girl's ass, and this hasn't happened for months now. And it kind of hit me all at once that I hadn't been like pursuing or caring about sex at all. And really since then, I mean, it's been on my mind, but I haven't like, I mean, it's just, I, I mean, it's kind of dead, you know, in are, the water. Are you terribly busy at school right now? I mean, I was, yes. Okay. I well, was, that, uh, you know, stress and overwork and not sleeping well can all tank your, 
sex drive. And, and sometimes that's the right thing. You know, you don't want to be constantly distracted by horny, horny, horny and checking out girls' asses when you've got papers to write and finals to cram for. So your libido can sometimes do you a favor by tanking itself. Um, but, you know, if the stress levels are lessening and your libido is not grinding back into gear, you should – Go have your testosterone levels checked. You should look at your diet, uh, whether you're sleeping. How ha- you're a young college student. A lot of college students arrive and start eating nothing but garbage and drinking too much, and you know, yeah, well, I mean, devastating yourself physically with garbage food and too much booze can also tank your libido. How are you doing, sort of holistically all around, not just stress levels from studying, but are you taking care of yourself? Have you changed I mean, anything I'm, about your diet or your or booze intake since you got to school? Um, I haven't, I've actually curtailed my booze intake. My diet has changed where I went from eating kind of three square meals to one meal a day uh-huh. because I literally didn't have enough time to eat. So the biggest change in my diet is how much I've been eating. And my, my worry again, like was that it hasn't been coming back up since like my life is kind of toned down a little bit more and I've been able to have a little more time. Um, like, Are you out of school? Is school over? Um, school is uh, now officially over. It's been about 10 days since I've been out of school, and I've been trying to sleep more and eat and eat better. And, re- I mean, like, nothing has really brought it back. So. Have you been beating off? Um, I actually had to force myself to a couple times. <laughs> I mean, like... Jacking off, should, jacking off shouldn't be a forced march. That was, that was what I was like... That's part of the reason why I called, because I, like... I just became really a big fan of your podcast, and I was listening to one of the episodes where you're talking about um, a couple who one wanted it too much, the other one, well, it was like from like 07 or something really far away, and I realized, you know, why not ask for a little advice, because I, I literally had to force myself, like nothing that normally, as you put it, like turns the cranks, was really doing it, so I had to just sit there and go at it until something happened to make sure st- stuff still worked. Are you on antidepressants? Um, no, I'm not. Okay. So eliminating that, because antidepressants can really tank someone's libido, and presumably you're not on hormonal birth control. You're not taking the pill, are you? I No. No, uh, because Unless somebody's been force-feeding it to me. Because then... when was the last time you ovulated? You don't need the pill. <laughs> so eliminating, you know, you're not on hormonal birth control, you're not taking antidepressants, your stress levels have decreased since the end of the school year. It could be that you're, you know, your dick is just about to swing back into gear and you're calling me like three days before you become a horny monster again. Or it could be that there's a hormonal imbalance. You should go get your testosterone levels checked. Testosterone is the sex hormone. And if for some reason your testosterone levels are dropping, that's a medical problem. There can be a medical intervention that can save your dick. But I'm thinking that that's probably not the case. I'm thinking your libido shut down because of stress levels and lack of sleep and you weren't eating very well. You weren't nourishing yourself. Um, And it's just going to take a little while for, for things to get back into gear. But make a doctor's appointment, go to the doctor, say, my libido tank, check, Dan Savage said to check my hormone levels, and Dan Savage said I might be ovulating, what about that? And then once you rule that out, just take a deep breath and give your dick a few more minutes to recover from the stress of this school year, and I bet you will be horny again. But get out of the house, get active, get on your bike, go running, go places, do shit, and eat three square meals a day, dude. (laughs) I will... Yeah, I will try. It's it's really weird being out of whack for as long as I've been. So I've like trying to get back into the regular 
in, into the regular um, swing of things. I was one. I mean, another motivation for me to call is I've after a kind of a long term breakup. Like I broke up with a long term girlfriend, so I've just started really getting back on the dating horse, and I realized this might have some effects while turning with dating. So that was an unfortunate thing, but. I will try and follow your advice and hopefully... You had so much coming at you all at once. The pressures of school. You weren't sleeping well. You ended a long-term relationship. You just shat out the end of your school year. You shat out finals, shat out all those papers. It sounds like you're probably physically and emotionally a little drained. Give yourself a break. It'll all come back into gear. Enjoy the summer. Get the fuck out of the house and eat some decent food. I, I will do that. Thank you so much. Sure thing. This podcast is brought to you by Audible.com, the Internet's leading provider of audiobooks with more than 100,000 downloadable titles across all types of literature and featuring audio versions of many New York Times bestsellers. For listeners of this podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook to give you a chance to try out their service. One audiobook to consider is inevitably Fifty Shades of Grey, book one of the Fifty Shades trilogy. By E.L. James, narrated by Becca Bateau. Uh, I am the only sex writer in North America who has yet to read Fifty Shades of Grey. I am the only sex writer in North America who never watched Two Girls, One Cup either. I may have to read Fifty Shades of Grey at some point just to maintain my professional credentials and qualifications, such as they are. Uh, and to do that, I may download the audiobook uh, and listen at the gym since I only have so much time to drag my eyes against – the written word, this is for me going to be an audiobook. And it can be an audiobook for you too. For a free audiobook of your choice. And your choice could be Fifty Shades of Grey. Go to audiblepodcast.com slash savage. That's audiblepodcast.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm calling you from Philadelphia. Um, a close friend of mine um, just tested positive for HIV and um, let me know that that was the case last night. Um, and I'm having a lot of conflicting feelings about it. He has been engaging in a lot of risky sex for um, all of the time that I've known him the last couple of years. So while I'm really sad for him and want to help him as much as I possibly can, I'm also really angry because he's a well-educated man in his mid-20s. Just He knew that this was a possibility and he talked about it for you know, the last couple of years and was always getting tested and, and he knew that this was something that could happen and because of the decisions that he was making. So I'm having just a really hard time not being really angry with him for doing this to himself. And um I'm just not sure how to how to handle being there for him. Um we live together, so I will definitely be seeing him and I don't know what the best way to to be supportive, but also to to deal with what I'm feeling about it. It's not about you. It's too bad. Uh, your friend obviously is one of those gay guys who reacts to the stresses and pressures of uh, you know the specter of avoiding HIV for thirty, forty, fifty, sixty years by courting it, by kind of running out and intentionally slamming his hand down on not quite the self-destruct button anymore because HIV in the West, if you have access to healthcare, is not a death sentence anymore. But slamming his hand down on the get it over with button, there are some guys who just conclude that infection is inevitable and so they run out and they get themselves infected. It becomes kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy for those guys. Uh, 
ironically and somehow maddeningly, and I've seen this in my own life with some friends of mine, is often the infection becomes what they need to knock this shit off. They really don't start taking care of themselves uh, until they're infected. And then suddenly there's this concern for their own well-being that seemed to be absent back when they were courting HIV infection, when they were pursuing HIV. Give your friend a break. Uh, having HIV is no longer a death sentence. If he gets into treatment, if he gets on the drug cocktail, it will bring his uh, viral load down to a point where he will be functionally non-infectious. So he needs to seek treatment. What you need to do for him now is encourage him to be responsible in a way that he wasn't able to be responsible when he was negative. He needs to be a responsible HIV positive person now. And a lot of – and this is so paradoxical and, and – Again, kind of maddening. A lot of guys who, when they were negative, couldn't seem to take any responsibility for their health or the health of their partners, once they're positive, suddenly are capable of doing that. Encourage him to be one of those responsible HIV positive guys. He was an irresponsible HIV negative guy. Now he's an HIV positive guy. He can be a responsible HIV positive guy. But recognize that ultimately this isn't about you. Uh, your anger is understandable. I've gotten angry at friends who did kind of what your roommate did. Um, but ultimately, that anger is useless and a little misplaced. Uh, it is frustrating. Um, it is infuriating. Uh, but dumping your anger on your friend isn't going to throw him in a time machine and send him back before his infection and change anything. What you need to do for your friend now is to be his friend. Uh, he's now HIV positive. You need to make sure that – not make sure – He's not your responsibility any more than his infection is your deal. You need to encourage him uh, to be in treatment, to protect his partners, um, to, to engage in serosorting if he is incapable of uh, using condoms with others and to be the responsible HIV positive person that I know he can be because I've seen it so many times. Guys who were irresponsible neg become highly responsible, thoughtful, pause guys your friend can too, with some encouragement, love, and support. Hey, Dan, uh, 24-year-old gay man here. Started seeing this guy and head over heels for him already after the first date. And I also happen to be HIV positive. I am having trouble finding an appropriate time, an appropriate place, an appropriate tone um, to tell people I'm dating or sexual partners that make me positive. Um, you've probably discussed this in your podcast before. I just don't know how to <laughs> make it sound like, you know, I'm not dying at the moment that I can still date and be healthy. And, you know, if they're not going to be positive, then I'm not necessarily going to, um, infect them with HIV. So um, do you have any advice for maybe how I can, you know, tell these guys, I, you know, I would feel kind of awkward telling them in a restaurant where they're just sitting there and they're, you know, about to bite into their <laughs> chicken south and boca and I'm telling them I have HIV and it's awkward and gross and weird and any advice that you might have, um, like maybe length as well, like of how you're dating, like after two weeks, three weeks, um, before you have sex, of course, uh, we've 
decided to take it slow. So, yeah, I would appreciate any advice on that. Thank you so much. Let's not think for a second about how to disclose or what the precise right moment is to disclose. Let's think for just a second about what's in it for you. We know what's in it for the other person. That person has a right to you know, make an informed choice about being your sexual partner, to, to assess the risks, uh, and then jump in if he wants to jump in. But what's in it for you? What's in it for the HIV-positive person? Well, it can be empowering if you think about it a little differently. When you tell someone that you're HIV-positive, you are telling him one thing about you. The way he reacts to your disclosing, it tells you a great deal about him. If he freaks the fuck out, if he acts like a child and an infant, if he, you know, zero shames you uh, or shames you for being HIV positive or blows the fuck up because uh, you didn't tell him soon enough, you should have told him before the first date, you should have told him before the salad course. What he's telling you is he's not someone that you could be with, that you should want to be with regardless of your zero status. He's telling you that he's an immature, selfish, thoughtless child. And not someone who's cut out to be your boyfriend, not somebody you would want to date. He's kind of exposed himself in a way that lets you know a lot about him, a lot more about him than you've just told him about yourself. Uh, you don't want to be with a guy who can't handle it. You don't want to be with a guy who is going to be irrational and, and fearful. You need to be with a guy who's smart. Now, particularly when you're young, you may disclose and you may wind up telling someone who has that kind of reaction – weighs his fear against who he knows you to be and his desire to be with you, his attraction and affection for you, and then goes out and learns more, asks you for more information. So if he has the big freak out and then calms down and wants to talk and wants to learn more, don't cut him off just because he had that scalding freak out. Educate him. And the truth is if you are on drugs, if you are being treated, if your viral load is undetectable, that you are a safer bet for him as a sex partner when it comes to protecting him from HIV than someone who believes himself to be HIV negative and may not be. Many, many guys who are HIV positive don't know it because they haven't been tested or they got infected since their last test. And it's those guys who have sky-high viral loads, sky-high viral counts, uh, and they are the most infectious HIV-positive guys out there, HIV-positive guys who don't know they're positive, who aren't being treated, who will tell somebody that they're negative because that's what they believe themselves to be. He's at more risk from one of those guys than he would be from you. Once you unpack that for a guy, a guy can chill out. If you tell him, he freaks out, uh, runs away, you never hear from him again, good riddance. If you tell him – he has a, a freak out but then comes back to you. You guys can really talk about all of these issues uh, and you can see how he processes an emotionally tricky, sensitive subject. That tells you a lot about whether he's a good relationship material kind of guy. Uh, if it's not an issue for him, great. There's also the chance that he's sitting there positive himself, sweating it out about when he's going to tell you, right? You may disclose and they may disclose right back at you and then it could become a huge non-issue. So when to disclose? You know, there's a lot of stigma still. Uh, there's a lot of guys who will run screaming. Um, you can let that inhibit you, an HIV positive guy, because he fears that rejection will sometimes not tell people. I think you should welcome that rejection because you don't want to be with that asshole anyway. That asshole doesn't deserve your dick. But when? You know, I think when you're young, I think when – if you're going to date, I think you can wait a, a week or two before you disclose. Uh, so they can get to know you first and get to know you without 
looking at you through HIV colored glasses for the two whole weeks. Um, I think that's permissible. I think that's understandable. Um, but you do need to disclose before you begin having sex. You do need to disclose uh, early enough that that can't be held against you. And you know what? You know what you look for in a, a boyfriend, a partner, a husband, a husband? You look for somebody who has who's thoughtful and considerate and has good judgment and is hot and fun and you know has an edge. You don't want somebody who's just you know a, a big bag of slop that you can push around. You want somebody who's a, a person. But you look for good judgment and, and you look for thoughtful. You look for consideration. And you, when you disclose, are demonstrating all those traits that people look for in a boyfriend and somebody they can see themselves with. So there are advantages for you. That's what's in it for you as a pause guy to disclose. It tells you a lot about that person, how they react. And it demonstrates to that person that you are someone that they should want to be with. Hi, Dan. Uh, I'm a college student studying abroad. I have a, a slight issue that I feel is very unique to my generation. Um, I have a younger brother. He's a year younger. He's um, a good friend, although with very minimal uh, communication, uh, largely um, because that's the way my brother's always been. A uh, little more reserved than I am, very difficult to communicate with, very minimalist in Skype conversations. Um, so that's been a struggle for me as I've been abroad. Um, and admittedly, um, I am a little guilty. I check his blog, even though we've agreed to keep our blog separate as personal spaces, but as he's so difficult to contact um, or like know what's going on with him, I check it once in a while because I care about him and I want to know what's going on in his life. Um, and I recently discovered um, that in his description, he's identified as bi, um, which honestly, it hurt a little bit um, only because I felt, you know, a little cheated that he didn't, that's the way I found out about it. Um, even though I know that I wasn't really supposed to find out about it. Um, and I'm going home soon back to the States and I'm excited to see my brother, um, and hang out with him. But I'm now I'm kind of nervous because I feel like I know this thing that he doesn't want me to know yet. I'm pretty sure I would have found out eventually whether he decided to come out to our family or in some other way. And I'm just, I'm trying to figure out how to be genuine with him, how to be an ally to him when he comes out to some family members that may not be uh, approving. How can I be an ally to him? And how can he, you know, come out to me if I already know when maybe he thinks that I, I'm not supposed to know? And how am I supposed to act like I don't know? I'm just, I've found, I'm finding myself in a position and I really want to know the most honest, genuine, and helpful way to be his ally and be his friend through any process. Um, any advice you have for me on, you know, being an ally in a family, I would really appreciate it. I would suggest that you send your brother a link to this podcast and let him hear your thoughtful and tortured hemming and hawing about how to talk with him about this. Your love and your concern for him are just so evident. Uh, you know what you know and you can't pretend not to know what you damn well do know. And a blog, whatever sort of gentleman's agreement you guys had as brothers to not look at each other's blogs are public. You know, you could tell him – you could lie and say that somebody sent you a link or somebody who read his blog and knew it was your brother mentioned that he was by whatever but don't lie just say hey i'm sorry i looked at your blog i do every once in a while i can't help it i'm sure you look at mine every once in a while 
uh, despite the gentleman's agreement. It says you're buying. I just want you to know I'm cool with that and I think that's great. And you have an ally and a friend in the family. You have, you know, you have an ally and a brother who loves and supports you for who you are. And if he has a little meltdown about it, let him have his little meltdown about it. Uh, I doubt that he will though. And don't take it personally. Often – Family members, you know, when their gay brother, bi brother, lesbo sister, trans son finally works up the nerve to come out to them, they'll realize that this person has told other people, people who they weren't as close to first and they'll be hurt by that. I thought we were close. Why didn't you tell me? Um, a lot of people who are gay, bi, lesbian or trans, when they first come out, they come out to people they're not that close to because it's not as scary because if you lose that person as a friend – it's not as consequential emotionally as if you lost your brother's love and support. So you will have these trial runs where you come out to people that you just met. You come out to new friends at college. You come out to some people that you work with. Um, and it's really about getting your footing. It's really getting some practice when it comes to coming out before you go and tell the people where the stakes feel super fucking high because they are. So don't take it personally. It's not about you. Every queer person – I was out to some people. I don't even remember their names before I came out to my brother Billy. He was the first person I told. I love my brother Billy. Uh, I couldn't tell him first. He couldn't be the first person I told because I had to see how that would – I had to see how other people were going to react. I had to see how someone that I didn't give a shit about was going to react before I could bring myself to tell somebody I did care about as much as I care about my own brother. So don't take it personally, but tell your brother that you know what you damn well do now and that you're on his side. And I think a great way to do it would just be send him the link to the podcast. Uh, hey, Dan. So we're a straight couple, and we're walking down the street, and we've been drinking. And my girlfriend just mentioned that a coworker of hers, a gay guy, was saying that he was going to get lessons in how to perform cunnilingus from a straight friend of his or... I don't know if this was a friend or like a guy that professionally teaches how to perform cunnilingus. Apparently, they're going to start on a mango. They're both going to perform cunnilingus on this mango. Um, I, I mean, let's set aside the fact that they were having a conversation about the cunnilingus at work. And why, why would a guy want to learn? No, straight guys should. Straight guys should totally want to learn how to perform cunnilingus. Why would a gay guy want to take lessons in cunnilingus? And she says that his explanation was, quote, just in case. And I'm like, what, what, in what circumstances would this come up? Like, why? <laughs> yeah, so that's the question. Why the fuck would anybody want to do this? I mean, if you're gay. If you're straight, yeah, sure, you'd want to do this. If you're gay... What is going on? He could be bi. There's that. That could be the Justin case. Uh, I've, I don't think that if you're gay identified and bi and you think you might end up eating pussy at some point that you need to take a class or practice on a mango. But there is that possibility. The other and I think more likely scenario is that he's one of those gay guys who misses the shock factor of being a gay guy. That when he first started telling people he's gay, jaws were hitting the floor and people were scandalized and clutching their pearls and gasping. And he doesn't have that impact on anyone anymore. So there are a lot of gay guys, particularly gay guys in their 20s, uh, early 30s, who will say fucked up freaky shit to their straight friends who love and support them just – to relive that, those moments again that were so kind of 
identity affirming when you first came out, this thing that you were afraid to tell people. You finally accept it, love it, tell people. They gasp and some part of you goes, yeah, good. Fuck you. Gasp. It is a big deal. His sexuality used to blow people's minds and freak people out and it doesn't anymore. Probably everyone in his life now loves and accepts him. So he's just tossing that out there, throwing a little grenade to freak you the fuck out. Here's what you do at that moment. You go, haha, yeah, right. Pixar, it didn't happen. Yeah, when you eat some pussy, you be sure to like bust out your iPhone and take a few pics because I want to see that. Not a mango, a pussy. When you eat a pussy, you send me a picture. Hi, I'm calling about podcast 293, the rant at the top about Tennessee's Epson stuff. Let me tell you, I come from Tennessee and a woman came to my high school and she gave us these incredible scare tactics and guilt trips about sex and basically told us if we had sex before marriage, the result would be a genital warp baby. So I grew up with some pretty serious hang-ups because I didn't have a good sense to laugh it off or get married at 18 the way the other kids in school did. And I was inside the abstinence-only scene for a good long time. And I can assure you, they won't admit it openly, but the idea that kids who are raised with abstinence only, if they do have sex before marriage, they're going to be more likely to do it without protection, to have unwanted babies, to get diseases. That's exactly what the abstinence only crowd wants. They want you, if you fornicate, to get sick, to get pregnant, because that is God's ordained punishment for fornicators. And if you use protection, you're doing an end run around God's will. Hi, I just listened to a podcast, I think it was 293, um, where you spoke to the to the woman whose boyfriend had stolen naked pictures of her off her computer, um, and she said that this had happened to her before. I know that you're trying to avoid sort of the blame the victim mentality, but girlfriend, if guys keep stealing nudie pictures off your computer, stop keeping them there. There's an easy way to prevent this, you know? I don't have nude pictures of myself all over my hard drive. I, you know, they're on CDs, they're on zip drives, they're tucked away where the random person who happened to be logged onto my computer would not find them and could not steal them. This is easy to prevent. It's kind of like condoms almost, you know, zip drives, condoms, good preventative measures. Hey, Dan, just finished listening to episode 293 and had a quick comment in regards to the woman whose boyfriend is putting naked pictures of her off her computer. Um... She should definitely dump that motherfucker, but beforehand, she should probably make sure to delete those pictures from his computer, because who knows what a creepy douchebag will do with those pictures. Thanks, and keep up the great show. And we're going to leave it there. Another reminder, Savage Love Live at the Neptune Theater in Seattle, Washington on June 13th to benefit the Washington United for Marriage. 22 bucks. Go to stgpresents.org to get your tickets. Musical guests Garfunkel and Oates live from Los Angeles. Please join us. 206-201-2720 is the number here at the podcast. If you want to record a question or call for a future show, please do. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. And me and the tech savvy at risk youth. We'll be back at you next week for another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for downloading.